Welcome back to our series, uh, Looking Unto Jesus. Today, we're going to be uh, looking at part of a sermon from my favorite preacher of all time, and that would, of course, be Charles Spurgeon. And I've given it the title, You Do Not Look Alone. And my motivation behind this is it seems that with all the turmoil that's going on in the world today and and how that turmoil has entered into our conversations, uh, not just in the world, but even in the church and among believers, that that although some of those conversations are very important, we need to be very, very careful that we're not distracted from the main conversation that is Jesus Christ. And what Spurgeon is also saying here is that uh, even in his time, many of the believers um, were discouraged by the fact that Christ very rarely comes up in a conversation uh, in the world and that so many people are putting emphasis on so many other things that are trivial in comparison to Christ. And so what Spurgeon is telling his people is that when you look to Christ, as an individual, as a small flock in a great big world, realize this, you're not looking alone. All of heaven is gazing upon him. All the Old Testament saints look forward to him. All the New Testament saints look back to him. That day after day after day, there are a countless number of, of glorified saints and of angels that are looking unto Jesus with you. So let's read what Spurgeon wrote. It's found in the New Park Street pul Pulpit, Volume 4, and on page 65. What myriads of eyes are casting their glances at the sun? What multitudes of men lift up their eyes and behold the starry orbs of heaven? They are continually watched by thousands. But there is one great transaction in the world's history which every day commands far more spectators than that sun which goeth forth like a bridegroom strong to run his race. There is one event which every day attracts more admiration than do the sun and moon and stars when they march in their courses. That event is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. To it, the eyes of all the saints who lived before the Christian era were always directed. And backwards through the thousand years of history, the eyes of all modern saints are looking. Upon Christ, the angels in heaven perpetually gaze, which things the angels desire to look into, saith the apostle, Upon Christ, the myriad eyes of the redeemed are perpetually fixed, and thousands of pilgrims through this world of tears have no higher object for their faith and no better desire for their vision than to see Christ as he is in heaven and in communion to behold his person. Beloved, we shall have many with us while we turn our faces to the Mount of Calvary. We shall not be solitary spectators of the fearful tragedy of our Savior's death. We shall but dart our eyes to that place which is the focus of heaven's joy and delight, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that there is something beyond this shadow land in which we live. Thank you, Lord, that there is more than the trivial which so many pursue. Thank you for Christ. He is our life, our joy, our hope, our Savior. But Lord, also thank you that his death was not in vain. And as you promised in Isaiah 53, he would see his seed. He would be satisfied. Lord God, thank you that throughout the long years of human history, Lord, you have saved a multitude of men and women. Thank you for the power that has been manifested through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that even today we are not alone. But in every country of the world, you have reserved a people for your son. And even now they look to him. Even now they praise him. Some free, some with chains, some prosperous, some barely alive. And yet for their, your glory, Lord, in the glory of your son, they worship. Lord, I pray now that you'll help me as I stumble through Spurgeon's words to be an encouragement to your people in this time when even in the church, so many conversations that are not gospel conversations have overtaken the one preeminent word the gospel of Jesus Christ and Lord if there are those who are listening who have strayed from this message to talk more about other things I pray that you would use this to bring their heart back to center in Jesus name amen now let's look at what Spurgeon preached what myriads of eyes are casting their glances at the sun what multitudes of men lift up their eyes and behold the starry orbs of heaven. They are continually watched by thousands. And this is true, and there's nothing wrong with that, because God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and uh, by observing them, we can know something of his greatness, of his wisdom, and his providence. But then we also have to look at the age in which we live. Um, there has maybe never been a time in human history was when more has been set before the eyes of men and women and children. And much of what is set before us today is certainly not very significant, but would be defined as, as trivial, as a waste of time. Now, we can expect this in the world, but as Christians, we are a steward of our time. We are steward of our thoughts. And although there are many things that we can delight in and rejoice in, our primary thought ought to be the primary thought of heaven, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ, and primarily his death on Calvary. So Spurgeon says about these things of creation, they are continually watched by thousands, but there is one great transaction in the world's history 
Now, I love the fact that Spurgeon uses a word that I don't hear much today in pulpits, and that is the word transaction. Um, the transaction that occurred between the father and the son on Calvary, when the son made full payment for our sin. He says, but there is one great transaction in the world's history, which every day commands far more spectators than that son which goeth forth like a bridegroom strong to run his race. There is one great event which every day attracts more admiration than do the sun and moon and stars when they march in their courses. That event is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we turn on the news, we don't see this. When we look oftentimes on our computers and the media that is there, we don't see this. When we listen in on daily conversations, whether it's in the office or on the metro, we don't hear great discussions about Calvary. And yet what Spurgeon says here is not simply for his time, but for all time. What we have to realize, if you were to add up all the saints on earth today, all the saints that have now gone on to glory and all the countless numbers of angels that inhabit the heavens and the earth, then you would see if you did all that, that the greatest conversation, the most frequent glance of all of them is to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we should be greatly encouraged. The son has done a great work and the Bible tells us that the father has given him a great reward. And in the end, we will all see that reward. So when you and I in this lost, this fallen world seem to be all alone. Looking unto Jesus, you need to realize that we're not alone. But more are with us. More are with us than those that are with them. Many, many, countless many look to Christ even today. Now, he says. To it, that is to the cross, the eyes of all the saints who lived before the Christian era were always directed. And backwards through the thousand years of history, the eyes of all modern saints are looking. Just just think about that for a moment. When Jesus confronted the, the leaders of his day and he talked about the scripture and he said, everything that is in that book was written about me. Can you imagine their reaction? Have you ever thought about what he is saying? Um, many theologians have referred to Jesus as the only expected person in the history of the world, the only person of whom it was would it was prophesied that he would come. Everything in the Old Testament points to him forward to him. Everything in the New Testament points back to him. All the Old Testament saints look forward to him as the coming savior and all the New Testament saints. From the from the ascension of Christ all the way through to his second coming, they look back to him and his cross work on their behalf. And then think about it throughout all eternity, not only saints, but angels, their primary focus will be not on the 
the glorious creation of the new heaven and the new earth, but upon the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain for the sins of his people. Spurgeon goes on and says, Upon Christ the angels in heaven perpetually gaze. And then he quotes, of course, Peter, which things the angels desire to look into, saith the apostle. The Greek verb there is that they actually lean over and look into the gospel. You know, when you're very interested in something that may be somewhat at a distance, you lean into it, you look at it closely. Even if if you see something that's in your hand, but you want a better look, you lean into it in order to get a better view. Now, you might think to yourself, well, the angels, why would they lean into it to get a better view? So their minds are superior to ours. Surely their comprehension of the gospel is greater than ours. And I'm sure it is to some degree. But what you have to understand is all creatures, whether they be men or angels, are finite creatures and the gospel is comprehensible in its fullness only to the mind of God. As a matter of fact, the great the great duty or chore of heaven will be to be constantly chasing down greater and greater gems of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, heaven is not heaven simply because it's a perfect place. Heaven is heaven because there are countless greater and greater revelations of the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, upon upon Christ, the myriad eyes of the redeemed are perpetually fixed. You know, it has been said that any if we pull our eyes off of Christ to look at any other thing, no matter how splendid, it is a wasted glance. Not that other things aren't wonderful, but that he is infinitely more wonderful. He goes on and he says, Upon Christ the myriad eyes of the redeemed are perpetually fixed, and thousands of pilgrims through this world of tears have no higher object for their faith and no better desire for their vision than to see Christ as he is in heaven and in communion to behold his person. You know, in my more than three decades of working in missions, I have met saints that have suffered greatly for Christ. Um, many that have been so impoverished, so limited in their resources and Impoverishment, imprisonment should never be treated as as something that you should desire. But there is something born out of it. They have nothing but Christ. And even in their heart that is yet to be fully sanctified. The, when you have little in this world, there are fewer competing loyalties. Our lives are sometimes so filled up with so many trivial things that we lose the diamond of God, the greatest gem, the gold. But I've seen so many saints down through my years that had so little. But in some degree, it was a blessing because their eyes were fixed upon Christ, upon Christ. And I think right now if we have brothers and sisters 
imprisoned in many different parts of Asia, those who are kind of locked out of the inner circles of society throughout the world, and they're looking, they're looking, they're looking for Christ. Those of us who may have it a bit easier in this life should be very careful. We should not despise the blessings that we have, but we should make sure that those blessings do not turn into a distraction. The resources we have, the blessing of our life should cause us well to do a few things. First of all, to appreciate Christ, to thank him for his kindness, but also to use what we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on, he said, beloved, we shall have many with us while we turn our faces to the Mount of Calvary. We shall not be solitary spectators of the fearful tragedy of our Savior's death. We shall but dart our eyes to that place which is the focus of heaven's joy and delight, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today in the Western world, there is great upheaval, great upheaval. And there seems to be so many armies preparing to march against the gospel and against the Christian faith. Uh, there is so many that are contrary and opposing to what we hold dear. But as you look around, you realize, realize, saint, you are not alone. From the fall of Adam to the end of the world, God is harvesting a people for himself. Countless millions have gone on to glory. Many millions walk the earth today. And then there are our brethren. We can say that in a limited degree. The angels in heaven who are constantly leaning in to look. So join them. Join the saints that have gone before us. Join the angels that are in heaven. And set your heart. On looking unto Jesus and knowing him better. Now, let me finish by saying something a bit practical. This is going to require discipline. You know, I can say all these beautiful things written by other men, spoken by other great preachers. I can say them. You can delight in hearing them. But how will you change? It will take discipline, the discipline of shutting out the world for a while every day, consistently meeting with God in the scriptures in prayer, but with a great purpose not to find your best life now. But to know more of Christ. Well, I hope this has been helpful. And I hope that God will bless you in cultivating a greater knowledge of Christ and a greater devotion to him. God bless.